Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb, and today is the day. I'm actually recording this intro on July the 4th, 2020, a date that will probably be remembered in the world of hospitality, at least in England, for quite some time. With respectful appreciation of listeners in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, and of course around the globe, at least in England today, hospitality is turning the lights back on. I, for one, am very excited to reopen my doors and will be heading off very shortly to tour the venues. I'm lucky to only have four that are all within a few miles of each other, so I'll be rotating around them throughout the day, thanking customers and team members for being fantastic enough to visit on day one. Now, as expected, the complexity of reopening has been way beyond what we imagined. I guess some operators open venues at a rate of knots all of the time, such as the likes of loungers, and hats off to them for having the systems and processes in place to do so. It's funny when starting from a standing start, completely empty fridges where normally there would be some sort of rolling prep, incredibly supportive suppliers we needed to agree payment plans with to get the wheels of industry turning again. It's definitely been exciting. And now we head off into the unknown. How many guests will come at all? How many will want to be met by a team in full PPE and will be concerned not to be so? How many will be completely oblivious to the pandemic and want to arrive with parties of mates from multiple households? How much of government guidance will we be expected to enforce and how much will we have to rely on the compliance and good nature of the public? Will customers be happy with the new reduced menus? Will they be understanding of the complexity of what is happening behind the scenes or will they be demanding? In reality, I suspect it will be all of the above. I suspect most people will be utterly decent and appreciative to get back to some sort of normality. How long it will last, we shall have to see. Now, podcast-wise, I've very much enjoyed chatting to so many different people during lockdown. It's kept me sane, and from some of the feedback I've had, many of you have also found it helpful. I've been lucky enough to chat to UK Hospitality, Hospitality Action, the Restaurant Association, the Institute of Hospitality, Hawksmoor, Rockfish, Jonathan Downey, Honest Burgers, CGA Data, and many, many more. It has been fantastic to have such a deep insight from so many people, and I'd just like to thank the guests for being happy to get involved. Now things shift a little and I'll try and get some guests on to chat about the experiences of actually reopening rather than strategizing during closure. Today's guest is the last of the recordings that I made during closure and it was a couple of weeks ago so please excuse the date references. I have four episodes recorded pre-lockdown that I will try and release now. Though a little dated they were some great chats before we had any idea a pandemic was on its way. So there may be a small gap in the more time-specific chats while I give operators a chance to get their doors open, and my next new recording is currently scheduled in for the 16th of July, so thank you for your patience whilst there is a little shift in focus. But on to today, where I'm catching up with the exceptionally fascinating Andrea Rasker. Andrea is a walking philosopher with some very strong opinions on the ethics of business and the community around food and drink. I've interviewed Andrea before about his business and his journey, but today we focus on the recent opening of his latest venue in an absolutely stunning old church in Mayfair in London. I'll let you listen to Andrea's eloquent description of that stunning space. Now, Andrea stayed open in some guise throughout the lockdown since their business is pretty diverse from a deli, bakery, shop, all the way to street trade units. And Andrea's philosophy that entrepreneurship means sometimes you make money and sometimes you lose money. But all the way through, you must focus on and serve your community. We touch on the dream incubator campaign that they shifted to online due to Corona and how the success of that has motivated Andrea to try and expand it to overseas markets. And I explore Andrea's thoughts on why small is beautiful, and in some ways how that can even be translated to how countries are managing the pandemic, including his home country of Italy. And we end on the agricultural bill and the necessity to at least keep moving forward with food standards and ethics, and not to see leaving the EU as a chance to make any backward steps. I very much hope you enjoy the conversation, and remember, please do me a very quick favour. Pick up your podcast player, press pause, scroll down to the review section and click on five stars for me. Even better, if you have the time, leave a few words. It really helps the algorithms to increase listeners to the show, meaning I can get better guests for you and I to enjoy. 
Ah yes, and one quick thing I almost forgot, I had to record this on a funny little phone gizmo with Andrea because uh, he was on a, a tablet based system rather than a PC that I normally use to get better quality audio, so please excuse the fact that my voice is louder than his and uh, some of the audio is a little bit funny, but we did our very best. Enjoy, thanks. Andrea Rasca from Mercato Metropolitano, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast uh, again. We spoke back in November on on episode 54, so a little while ago. Uh, how are you and uh, where are you in the world? Are you at your office? First of all, thank you for uh, this interview again. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Mark. Uh, I'm in London because uh, basically we can't move that much. And even if we can move, then we cannot come back because of this uh, 14 days uh, quarantine uh, uh, policy in uh, in UK. So we are based, we are in London. We've been staying here for the last uh, three months. Okay, excellent. Well, look, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, chatting to you last time. So for anybody who wants to hear your kind of your backstory and how you ended up in uh, in hospitality and all that you do, they can go back and listen to the last episode we recorded. So if they go to humansofhospitality.co.uk uh, and type in for um, episode 54 or just type in Andrea, your name, uh, and that will come up. But today, um, I predominantly want to focus, I suppose, on what's happened in, in the six months since I last met you and then specifically talk around the pandemic and how you've responded to that and your thoughts to reopening but when i last met you i think you just opened your mayfair location yes, um so we'll start there how how did that go how does it compare with with elephant and castle this is sort of pre-pandemic uh, what was the response but it was uh, it was uh, a very good response because we had uh, approximately 30, 30 to 40 percent uh, uh we were 30 40 percent above the forecast in sales, uh, it exploded, actually. It was uh, incredibly busy from day one. And uh, I was very happy to see that the the typology of people are always the same. Wherever we open, there are people from families with kids. And uh, uh, the only thing which is a little bit different that in Mayfair, obviously, you have more offices. So during lunchtime, you see more. Uh, people with ties and jackets. That's the only big difference. For the rest, it's absolutely the same because I do believe that people are people wherever you wherever you go. So it, it was a very, very big uh, success, even in community terms, because we, as you know, we opened uh, a 300 square meter community space inside um, Mayfair, inside the Mercato Mayfair. And uh, we started immediately with classes for kids uh, free guitar classes and um, a lot of uh, we leave the space basically to the local community to to come and discuss. We offer food and it's a place to meet and to recreate the community around a location that was used to be a church. And at the end of the day, whatever your religion is, a church is a place where people assembly and and talk. And uh, now it's not obviously church anymore but it remains uh, like all markets should uh, remain a, a space for meeting people and discussing and eating together and uh, engaging in various activities learning studying painting uh, or playing whatever yeah it's an incredible space can you you just describe it andrea because you walk in and you've got this huge sort of atrium but downstairs from memory you've got sort of little kind of enclosed and stuff so yeah can yeah. you describe it it just uh, when, when I entered the first time, I was uh, kind of uh, scared by the beauty of that uh, building because it's a proper, beautiful, well-done church, uh, ex-church now, obviously, from, I think, the 70s. And once you enter, you have this ground floor, which is uh, enormous, beautiful, and with a lot of uh, stained glasses and uh, amazing piece of art. And over there, you find the ground floor, you will find six of our uh, vendors. You will find the amazing pizza, the amazing uh, pasta and the gelato. And uh, also our grocery where you can buy your products. And actually, this is what we've been doing the last three months, obviously. It's, it's worked very well. And, uh, and then you have uh, two amazing corners with a real 100% uh, Japanese uh, uh, tea. Uh, offer with uh, matcha cakes and a beautiful uh, uh, beer corner. But if you 
instead take the stairs and you go downstairs in the basement you have this beautiful red bricks uh, uh, walls uh, with the vaults and half of it has been uh, destined to and ham and, and one uh, full um, vault of hams, one full vault of cheeses, and one full vault of wines, and another one of production of beer. So you can have your um, charcuterie and cheeses and uh, boards. And then uh, you can also, in the other side, instead, uh, as I was saying before, attend the classes or engage with the community because uh, downstairs is where we also have the community center. And then instead you take the other stairs and you go uh, on the first floor, on the two balconies, then you will find other eight offers of food from uh, Japanese to uh, Bao to Thai to our amazing plant-based restaurant and then a beautiful terrace with uh, fresh fish and uh, drinks. So um, it's a place, again, uh, as usual, as always with Makati, is a sustainable market because uh, we do not use plastic we do not use brands we do not use we don't want any chemical food etc etc but it's also a community driven exercise where the community is the most important aspect we offer food even in mayfair with an entry point of price which is very accessible for the quality we give uh, because this is our philosophy and this is who we are we don't change that wherever we open yeah, no, nice, and I recommend people go and see it, even even just for the beauty of the of the building itself. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's practically a tourist attraction, but it yeah, is full it of is. also full of amazing uh, food and drink. So uh, we're obviously coming up towards sort of mid June. We've been in, in lockdown. We're just starting to see the sort of early stages of release. Were you open uh, all the way through from the shop perspective, or did you close for the original couple of weeks of the lockdown? Um. We never closed the groceries because uh, we were a necessity. We were a food store where people could come and buy uh, the essentials, obviously. And don't forget that uh, for us, it was also our only point of connection with our community. And we never stopped serving them uh, through different channels, through different uh, initiatives, obviously. So we kept the two groceries, one in Elephant and Council, and one in Mayfair opened. Um, obviously, it was a big uh, sacrifice for us because uh, you can imagine, um, it, not only for the people and for uh, all the precautions we had to take to keep all of our employees safe, uh, it's also a matter of uh, business and financial situation where uh, Luckily enough, we managed not to leave anybody at home and we followed uh, 80% of our employees. Uh, but for the, the other people who decided to stay because they wanted to keep on serving the community, we had to take all the right precautions. We did. And for two months and a half, we've been working even harder if possible. Okay. You also represent a lot of uh, traders who presumably are independent traders, are they? So they, I guess most of the sort of street traders uh, have had to close. Would that be correct? Yeah, it is correct. And uh, some of them uh, decided to join us in our effort uh, in our groceries. So we opened up a sh um, an online uh, sales shop uh, through Shopify. And uh, actually some of them cooked their product and sold it through our Shopify. So some of them did not uh, completely close their businesses thanks to these activities that we initiated and through our own delivery. So we had uh, we our, our drivers and our trucks, we kept on delivering food and ready meals uh, to the communities around us. But most of them had to had to close, obviously. Mm. What was the impact on the grocery stores? I might have interest. Did you find you were busier? Because obviously a lot of supermarkets had queues and a lot of people were flipping into delivery and couldn't get deliveries. So yeah, was yes, it... actually, we, in terms of pure retail sales, we almost tripled sales. Right, wow. Uh, so it was uh, obviously not enough to, <laughs> to yeah. be <laughs> good enough for a company like ours, but we were very happy to see that... Uh, uh, our visitors and our friends uh, were very happy yeah. that we were still open and 
And it was a matter in these moments, you know, it's not a matter of, uh, we know we, we were going to uh, lose money. Uh, that's quite clear. And it's part of the life of an entrepreneur of a company. There are moments you make more money, there are moments in which you lose money. But you must always uh, keep uh, uh, in mind that uh, you are here to serve the community. And there are moments in which you make more money and less money. But that's it. It's part of uh, the life cycle of any business. So we are not, uh, uh, because we were growing so much even before, till uh, end of uh, mid of March, uh, we were still growing at a 35% approximately year on year. Uh, and mind you, we grew from 9 million pounds in the 2017 to 15.2 in 2018 to 22 in 2019. And in 2020, the first three months, we were growing another 35%. So we were in a honestly very healthy position to face this uh, pandemic, which obviously... Uh, it would have been better without. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but good that you've got a diverse enough business that you could at least keep trading in some way, which I managed kept you imagine kept you sane because you're not particularly good, uh, it would seem, at switching off, Andre. I know you live and breathe this business. Have you had any downtime uh, during this period or has, has it just no, been a period no, no, of sort no, no, of no, no, no. intensity? I, even more because uh, in moments like these, and I remember the day when I came back from Japan and it was the day in which they closed all shops etc i was uh, uh shocked obviously and uh, i think it was the right thing to do to for one month uh, to shut down everything uh, the lockdown was correct uh, but that's what happens when i see things happening like this it's uh you put another gear on and you say okay now it's time to immediately react because the most important thing is uh, the capacity to react um, you have no time. You have a lot of people depending uh, on you, your community, people who could not eat. And um, one thing I didn't like about this were people posting it, it's right to stay home, stay home, which was right on one side, but people were not thinking about probably 20, 30% of the population, which were already below the poverty line or the line of being able to feed their kids three times per day and they were living in very small apartments. How did you reply to these people? Stay home with three kids maybe in a 40 square meter apartment and people were not thinking about, uh, some of the people were not thinking about them. And so what we thought was, well, our mission is always the same. We, it's now maybe they need us even more. So there was no time to think about this and we immediately started delivering food bags and delivering uh, hot meals uh, and uh, and that's it so honestly that was uh, probably half an hour of uh, <laughs> deciding uh, I, I, yeah. what I, to I, do and then it was done perfect I knew what the answer was going to be before I asked you but actually that's the reason that I wanted to catch up with you Andre was to, to find out sort of the stuff you'd been up to so uh, I, I know that um, you know, whenever there's change, entrepreneurs in many ways love throwing all the balls in the air and, and, and sort of changing things around. And it, you know, things like this do spark a, the necessary reaction of creativity, right. I suppose. So, what sort of stuff have you done in the last few months that you would not have done? What sort of initiatives have you started that wouldn't have started if this pandemic had not come along? I tell you frankly, nothing, because uh, in reality, uh, it was all in our plans, in our minds. But what really helped us was the fact that we had to stop concentrating on the main business and we were late in the things we wanted to do. Because when you are running and growing so much, sometimes you don't dedicate enough uh, energy to the, let's say, the, the smaller initiatives, but which are as important as the main ones, but you're just you know, too busy and you do not have enough time to do it. So what really changed is that I could focus on things that I had no time to focus on, which was the grocery, the research of the best possible suppliers, which were aligning their values with ours, so no chemicals, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, one thing which I was very proud of, uh, and uh, was already in our plans because we started in January, actually, it was the dream campaign. Uh, one of the ideas was not to look for new vendors or people who wanted to join us, but what I wanted to hear from people was uh, uh, their dreams. 
Uh, I tell you one one small story, uh, Mark. When uh, I came back from New York, it was last year. I remember I arrived very late. It was at ten or eleven o'clock, and I came back directly to my mercato, uh, and there was a little bit of a queue to enter um, our grocery. But I arrived with my luggage, obviously, and the security uh, let me in because they knew me. And the guy, one guy in front of the queue said, why are you leaving and letting this guy in? And he said, because he's Andrea, he's the founder. And he said, I don't believe you. So he came to me and said, are you really Andrea Rask? I said, yes. Oh, sorry. Then I have to tell you one thing. We come here because the food is good, amazing, whatever. But we come here for one main reason. It's because you incubate small people and uh, you give uh, to these people a place to execute their dreams, to start their um, ventures. And honestly, I was surprised because that is what I'm doing, but I did not realize that people were realizing it. Honestly, they were aware of what we were doing. So that day I said, guys, if people stop me and tell me this, we need to continue on this path. So in uh, September, I started this campaign. In January, we wanted to launch it. We were a little bit delayed and then the coronavirus happened and everybody said obviously let's stop it and let's continue later so no let's just do it online and uh, we created this dream campaign you can follow this on instagram and basically we launched this competition and we received so many uh, videos and ideas we had then to to uh, obviously choose among them a little bit which is terrible i don't like to choose among all these ideas we will be in touch with all of them but then we can come down to more than 40 applications which were very interesting and now we are in the in the process of uh, uh, selecting few of them to start immediately as soon as we can in our market we will incubate some of the ideas giving them a free space to test their their products if they are chefs or cooks or if they want to cook or in another in other cases that we uh, some people came up with new app for mercato the ideas or uh, hydroponics, uh, or so many different ideas, Mark, which is wonderful. And the most important factor was to give hope to these people, even during this pandemic, to give them um, a horizon of hope when uh, this uh, pandemic would finish, but also for my people to be in touch with the community. So we were talking to these people and engaging with them, and that created such a lively movement that helped uh, us all to be in uh, contact with reality uh, and ready for the next steps so i'm yeah. very proud of this amazing yeah i had a little look actually i had a look at a couple of the youtube videos and some of the ideas which were great was this just purely people based in the uk or was this uh, overseas at the well? moment yes because i told you we, we just said okay guys let's launch it we don't know what's gonna be the outcome of this let's launch it in a small scale and the result was so wonderful that this, uh, I wanted this to be the way we recruit new people, even to hire new people, by the way, or to get uh, new vendors in, to get new partners in. And because it was so successful, instead of uh, using the user channels, this is going to be our channel uh, from uh, for UK, for Germany, for Italy, for USA. We are going to launch dream campaigns all around the world. Amazing. Yeah, that's, that sounds uh, fantastic. Uh, one of the other things that I saw you launch was the uh, the circular veggie box. What is that, Andrea? Wow, that's another thing. What we we had to do is to provide food to people. Uh, that's a basic thing. And uh, sometimes we forget that there are people, as I was saying before, that do not have access to uh, good, nutritious, healthy food every day. And so what we did was to we were selling vegetables, fruit and vegetables. We were getting it from various suppliers, among which Riverford and others. And because uh, sometimes we had this, uh, uh, as you know, leftovers, it's not even leftovers, uh, vegetables which were a little bit, let's say, I call them tired. They were not uh, as beautiful as the first day, but they were absolutely wonderful products that we would use to create a soup for our employees, for us, for ourselves. And for other people, we created these circular boxes where we used to put all these vegetables and most of the time give it for free to most of the people or just 
a small uh, uh, contribution, which would then enable us to uh, pay back with uh, the hundreds of food banks that we provided during the last two months. Amazing, nice. And they've been uh, they've been well received. You can only get these delivered in sort of central London, is that right? Yes, because we have our own uh, delivery system, and if you wait for the big deliveries, etc., they charge you thirty percent, and they couldn't care less about uh, what we do for the community, and uh, so they're not uh, a viable uh, way of delivering food. We all know this, so we have a new strategy for the future, uh, also on how to. Uh, reach people everywhere in London without resourcing to this kind of uh, delivery system, which I don't really believe in. Yeah. So how are you going to do that? You getting yourself a push bike, Andrea? Or? Uh, we are going to do. <laughs> we are going to do it by opening uh, in the next year very small neighborhood, uh, um, short version of MM, which can deliver locally what we produce and make in our own MMs. And, uh, we, and these smaller MMs, neighborhood MMs will engage directly with the community around them in order to provide education, in order to tell people what is fresh to eat, what is seasonal to eat. Um, we need to go back to, you remember probably, we, in Italy we call it a drogeria, the small grocery store where my mother would go and the same lady who would cut 100 grams of wonderful uh, Parma ham would uh, also, if you ask for it, uh, put it in, a, in the bread you just bought uh, and make a panino for you without additional charges, obviously. But it was also a shop where you could buy your essential for the day. So it's, I don't like the way also supermarkets uh, uh, are developed nowadays. You just enter and you buy anything you find on a, on a shelf which you don't understand what it is. No one tells you what it is. And uh, most of the time, even if you try to read the label, you don't understand few of the of the um, uh, of the phrases of the words that are written in the label. So this is this uh, system has created this big vacuum between the consumers and the producer and the farmers. People don't understand where the product comes from, and uh, because of all this bureaucracy, basically only the big companies are earning money at the expenses of the health and the well-being of uh, the citizens. Yeah, well, I know this is one of your manifesto points, isn't it? Is that yes, small, it is. small it is. is beautiful is one of the ones on there that I love. I, so why is small uh, beautiful and why is that important to you, Andrea? Because uh, you've seen it also in this uh, pandemic, Mark. Uh, at the national level, it was a disaster from every point of view, not the UK. I'm talking about every country apart from very few, and you can count them on your hand, small countries managed locally, mostly by women, by the way, and uh, who have uh, a, a very local management. Germany, for instance, because it's managed locally, they had less troubles than any other country, and uh, Sweden and New Zealand. But if you take uh, all nations, Honestly, my, my fear is that uh, the bigger we become, uh, the, less, uh, the less contact there is with the local people. So look at mayors, for instance. I do believe that the, the future is in the hands of mayors of cities more than governments in nations. And uh, if you look at big corporations, um, look at Monsanto, Bayer, or look at Unilever, or Tesco, they try to do something by looking good, but 98% of what they sell is causing damage to people. So there's no way these people with big shareholders who needs to have a quarter uh, reports and uh, increase in their value of their shares will ever care about people. And only if you get in touch with people and you talk to the local people, you make them again uh, become human beings and not just numbers or customers. I think this uh, is what we've been doing for the last 30 years, and the results are in front of us. So it's true, this coronavirus was a big hit, uh, but if we talk about numbers, 50 million people die every year because of, uh, uh, let's say, chronic diseases connected to lifestyle and food every year. Diabetes, 
and uh, uh, heart attacks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think sometimes uh, uh, we should uh, go back to the essentials and focus on what is very important for us, which is giving people the first medicine of all, which is good food. Yeah, I would agree 100% with that. There's a certain irony, I think, isn't it, is that what the press grab hold of and focus on yet uh, yeah heart heart disease is the biggest killer you know globally and and the biggest impact on heart disease is what we eat uh and it just yes. doesn't get enough focus does it if anything it feels like this continual sort of race to the bottom in our food standards and the supermarkets yeah they're just you know 90 percent of the aisles are full of what forty thousand products and what do we actually yes. need probably you know less than 100 i would imagine so yeah, yeah a frustrating scenario um i'm interested in sort of your perspective so back, back on the panel pandemic i guess you know italy was the first country in europe we saw it get you know hit very hard what was your thoughts because obviously that's where your roots are you know so i suppose first of all you know your friends and family okay and then what were your thoughts as you saw it heading over i suppose as to why italy got got hit and did did you sort of recognize the inevitability that it would then end up sort of you know in the uk and we'd, we'd follow a similar trajectory i tell you at the beginning we were all scared obviously because we didn't know we didn't know what that coronavirus was and after reading that uh, first research we said this is worse than the spanish flu 1.5 million people are gonna die so we were all scared and uh, i was uh, honestly shocked that uh, lombardia in particular not uh, all of italy was hit so badly but uh, i must say that uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit ashamed to say that it was mostly due to our region government, which was a disaster. The way they reacted was uh, shameful. And uh, not Milan in particular, which was quite well handled, not at the beginning, but immediately afterwards, but the region was a disgrace. And uh, again, you see, the bigger you become, the worse it is to manage. So region level, level was a disaster in Italy. Um, it was hit also because I think it was badly measured. Uh, I don't think, honestly, that uh, Italy was hit the hardest. It was just the way people were measured and where <laughs> the chronic diseases were measured at the same level as the coronavirus. And then uh, people did not understand anymore who was dying for coronavirus or with coronavirus which is a big distinction, obviously. Um, so I knew at the beginning that it would hit also UK because, again, I don't believe that Milan is different from London and it hit UK uh, strongly. Uh, and now, luckily enough, all of my family and friends were okay and I started talking to a lot of people and actually we started realizing that everybody was okay apart from maybe having being uh, feeling badly. I probably think that most of us got through this flu. I probably got it sometimes in the last uh, four months, like most of the people. And uh, started talking to my friends and family. We realized that uh, actually uh, we all went through it and we came out of it uh, healthy again. And that uh, the people who were heat were the people above 80s we and that was a terrible hit for our elder people we should have protected them much more that was our biggest mistake and the people with uh, already uh, pre-existing uh, um, health issues should have been protected more uh, this is what we lacked and what we did not understand at the beginning and uh, and then the second point I really did not uh, understand and did not like was the dragging on on that. Once it was clear that the numbers indicated that only the very, let's say, the weakest part of our society were in danger, we should have acted quickly to help them even more. But then to put in motion again the will of our society without scaring people about numbers which were not correct. So people uh, below 50 uh, were people which were not really in danger, uh, if they did not have pre-existing, uh, obviously, health issues, obviously. And uh, with the right precautions, uh, so cleaning your hands every 
minute, etc., etc. That's what we've been doing. And we've been opening and operating for three months, Mark. And I'm not saying this from my golden uh, home alone without uh, getting in touch with people. We've been working hard and we've been in contact with hundreds of and probably thousands of people. And what I'm telling you comes from my experience and from uh, the live we've been living. Yeah, I think uh, Kate Nichols was in the press uh, yesterday as well from UK Hospitality saying that a third of hotels across the country have been open in some guise, either looking after NHS workers or the homeless or, or vulnerable or any, anybody who needed some help. And there were basically zero cases uh, of coronavirus coming from those hotels. And actually, as a sector, you know, we are very used to working in very clean environments. You exactly. know, we, we always wash our hands because we're exactly. dealing with food. And actually, you know, we're probably a well-placed sector to reopen just before we start talking about reopening i'm interested to know was was the support so the government support here particularly the sort of furloughing scheme obviously there was some help with grants albeit that most people probably didn't qualify for those but was that a similar level of support for businesses in uh, in italy do you know no no no. i must say that in this case the furlough system in uk worked perfectly well i really can't complain about this i was uh, it, it managed uh, uh, asked to keep all of our employees, so I'm very happy about this. In uh, in Italy, um, we have something similar called the Cassa Integrazione. It was a little bit delayed, but I think it worked pretty well too. When we come to the grants, then that's a totally different uh, <laughs> word, because uh, at the end of the day, these grants, unless you qualified for that, so it, I don't remember what it was below 250,000 pounds, something like that. Uh, now, the, gra the grants were between, you had to have a rateable value between 15,000 and 51,000, yeah. which I think 71% of hospitality didn't qualify for. Didn't qualify. Yeah, so in that was a case, Sorry, the 20, uh, 250,000 pounds was at the beginning. Um, what was uh, agreed as a grant, uh, not a gr as a grant, sorry, as a... Um, the loan, the C-bills? The loan of the banks without signing personal guarantees. Yeah, but right. then, obviously, it was such a stupid thing to do. Then they changed it. Uh, and But nevertheless, uh, I've been talking to a lot of uh, friends, and very few people got the money from banks. Don't forget the banks are banks. So um, if you don't qualify exactly in the way they want, which means if you don't need money, because this is a basic rule of banks, if you don't need money, then they will loan, give you a loan. If you need money, they won't give you a loan. This is the rule all around the world. And we qualified just because, as I was telling you, we had an amazing EBITDA. We were growing our business till the day we closed. So they could not, not give us a, a help and a loan, which we're going to basically pay back. Don't forget, I'm not happy about this because it's a debt. Yeah, it's so, true. I'm not happy at all. It yeah. is not a success. It's a, it's a failure for all of us. But uh, that's yeah. the way it goes. It's a frustration having to get in debt purely to uh, to keep your head above water. But I With guess. Banks, uh, yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Don't get in the hands of banks. <laughs> yeah. It's going to take a fair few years to uh, to come out the other side of this, I guess, which, which probably leads us quite nicely on to. So, yeah, what's your... What's your strategy? When are you uh, when are you expecting to reopen? So, uh, as I told you, we did not completely close ever, uh, closed ever, but uh, we are going to reopen the open air markets and our markets, uh, or the open air area, sorry, of the markets, plus all our vendors from tomorrow. So Amazing. tomorrow, all of the vendors will come. They will, will start cooking. We, are, we will deliver food, obviously. There's going to be the possibility to take away food and uh, we are going to open and that's it because i think that uh, uh, the 22nd of july probably we will be able to see a second step and people maybe might be able to start sitting down as and as you exactly before said no one got any virus from any supermarket or any restaurant they mostly got it from hospitals and uh, uh, we are, I think we are in a very safe position. Everything has always been kept super clean. And we will continue to do so. We, we, we just will increase it even more. And uh, we are very, I'm quite uh, comfortable to say that uh, it's time to reopen and there won't be any problem. 
uh, in, in our sector. I don't think in any sector, actually, if you maintain some... Uh, good controls mm. so that's that's um that's good that you can reopen to tomorrow for it would date this podcast slightly because it, it won't it will it will have this will have happened before it goes out but june the 10th tomorrow so the bit you're looking at reopening is literally it's the outside space and it's takeaway food that people can come yes. in that outside space they can buy and they can take away presumably they can't yes. they can't consume it uh, on the premises they've got to take it somewhere have they or? yes and honestly who knows, uh, Mark? Uh, because nobody knows. Even the people, uh, the government, uh, every day there's something new, something uh, different. Uh, and uh, you see people in the parks eating together. So I wonder where is the where is the now the barriers between uh, being together, eating together in a park, but not in an open air market. What what is the what is the difference? I don't really get it. I was in Borough Market last Saturday, and you can uh, you hardly walk. It's completely packed. So and uh, people with or without the mask, because as you know, they are not needed. As also the uh, WHO says, you don't need the, the mask if you walk around uh, in the streets. It's just uh, you don't even need gloves, actually, if you keep on washing your hands. And uh, these markets have been completely packed for the last month. So w- where is the limit between yeah. <laughs> sitting down and not sitting down? I think it's just... It's, it's a frustration, I think, isn't it? We've got a place on the beach, and the beach has been absolutely packed no, during I the heat wave. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, it's, it, it's almost sometimes ridiculous, yeah. uh, honestly speaking. Yeah. The government doesn't know what to do, and they have no clue. No, and I sympathise. I guess they're sort of, you know, they're they're stuck between, you know, bad news only scenario where on one side the economy gets screwed, on the other side uh, people die, and and then you've got, I guess, the pressure of the of the press. But it it doesn't feel right that the parks, the beaches, the open spaces can be packed, and yet there's people with beer gardens and terraces and private spaces that would be much easier to maintain distancing in than it would be on the street. It's the irony that they can come into your place and not sit down, but they can go over to the park and sit on top of each other. doesn't make sense because you you could limit numbers much better, couldn't you? So hopefully there's been some rumours going around in the last 48 hours about outside spaces being able to open on the 22nd of June, even for sit down, haven't they? For me, that feels feels logical, even even if inside space is is the 4th of July and we could debate that all day long. But outside, outside just seems seems crazy, really, doesn't it? Absolutely. And then uh, I think again... We should not stop being uh, careful um, about uh, the over 80 years old population. We should be careful about this. Uh, But in the majority of cases, as we said, um, I don't think uh, the risk is uh, as high as before. And uh, clinically, um, the power of this virus is diminishing. Obviously, you can see it. And we should count uh, the deaths, not only the... Uh, the people who got coronavirus, because this is com- also creating confusion in people. Um, you can get a flu, but you don't die from flu every time. So it's you need to give numbers. Also, the government we should read numbers and give numbers in a more comprehensive way. I think. Yeah, I think there's going to be some analysis done at the end of this, isn't there? Where we'll, we, yes. we will be able to have a much clearer picture of of what was happening, and it and it's the increase in deaths, I think, isn't it? Like you say, there's a lot of people dying with coronavirus, but not of coronavirus, and the exactly. only only way we'll know that in the end is is when we compare sort of yeah an average year to an average year, and we do that over multiple exactly. countries. Yeah, um, which doesn't mean we do not have to be careful. We absolutely. need to take all the precautions. Uh, but if you read this article from Alex Berenson, who just, as I was telling you, is, uh, is, a, is this first chapter of the book, which is now on Amazon. Um, what's the difference between uh, getting drunk and driving a car and going against the wall? Did you die because you were driving or did you die because you were drunk? So, uh, you know, this is the, the thing. Did you die because of the alcohol or because there was a wall in, against your car. Yeah. So it's the, 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 the difference between dying for coronavirus or with coronavirus. So this is something that we should analyze a little bit better to have, just to have better data. Yeah. You know, to analyze that's the point what i'm yeah, saying yeah absolutely yeah and and i guess that will come in time and it'll be interesting to look back what can the government do to uh to help you get reopened uh andrea is there any is there any additional help that you would like to see 
the only help I would like to see is uh, to be what I said before, to read the data in a different way and to stop uh, this panic, panicking around because it's not helping the society. That's what I would like to see from our leaders. Yeah, this change, I guess, uh, I was chatting to Charlie McVeigh a couple of days ago, who's launched Project Pint. I don't know if you know, Charlie, no. but uh, very much talking about this change that we need, which is the uh, the sort of the, the FOGO to FOMO. So the fear of going out into the back into the fear of missing out. And, and we need to change the narrative. Um, because I guess some people are still, you know, very scared and understandably because that was the government message. And I think we all were for a period of time. I think oh, some, some of us have absolutely, just absolutely. yeah, become relaxed faster. But and does that feel like one of the bigger challenges we're going to have for the sector is it's all well and good opening. But unless people have the confidence to, yes, to go back yes, to normal, you know, we'll be running at a loss. And uh, there was a beautiful phrase that I read that was we should uh, um, start uh, uh, living again basically and stop uh, this this fear of dying is blocking us from living again and um, sometimes this fear is causing more troubles and more problems to us than the virus per se and uh, that's the point i've seen uh, young ladies 30s year old working here also with us blocked at home, completely in panic. And um, and this is terrible if you think of what will be the outcome in the next year, because we will see a lot of troubles in the next year because of this lockdown uh, in terms of businesses, in terms of uh, unemployment, in terms of health diseases. Uh, I think uh, we will see it, but uh, that's what I would like to see the government doing and to give uh, reassurance and to give real numbers and to tell people what's going on for real without panicking. Yeah. One, one of the things we'd seen as a sector, I guess, over the last few years, and I know, you know we've already chatted about Small is Beautiful, but we've seen this sort of the rise and rise and rise of the chains in, in hospitality and the VC sort of backed uh, growth, you know, lots of multiples, lots of leasehold properties, very, very fast growth. Do you think that era... era is going to have changed and if you put on your small is beautiful hat you know are, are there some positive opportunities because you just alluded to the fact that a lot of a lot of business has changed a lot of people won't probably come off the back of this do you have any thoughts on what the sector might look like post pandemic no. I, I well you know my my view on these chains which i found uh, inhuman <laughs> in, even the food they serve obviously um Unfortunately, I think that uh, again, this uh, pandemic has revealed an even higher level of inequality because the rich people and the rich companies are not suffering in the same way of uh, 80% of the population. And uh, so when people say that everybody has suffered, it's not true. Only the rich people can say this. Um, and unfortunately, some of the small entrepreneurs will find it difficult to open again, while these big chains uh, probably uh, will find it easier on one hand. On the other hand, uh, it was also, apart from the coronavirus, I think it was there was already a, a change in the, in, in the business and in the industry. Uh, as you see, a lot of shops are closing down and a lot of main streets are full of empty uh, um, shops. For one main reason is that uh, the, the old uh, strategy of applying a rent, fixed rent to any business is just finished. So we proposed uh, five years ago the idea of uh, revenue share with the landlords to create a kind of a partnership with, uh, with the landlords in order for them to get uh, a good uh, revenue, obviously, but also an uncapped one. If we were doing better, they would even earn more. But if we were not doing well enough, they would also earn less because it's a partnership. It's a revenue share model. So this, I think, is a future, um, even without the pandemic, obviously. This was start, something that started three or four years ago already. And what uh, I would like to do is to open more and more market, uh, Mercato Metropolitano, or markets like us, who can uh, give space to the smaller entrepreneurs to work together. Because when I say small is beautiful, it's true, but we also have to work together and to aggregate 
uh, smaller uh, entrepreneurs to work all together and to become stronger. Yeah, there's a lot of conversations going on nationally around sort of national timeout, rent reviews, the fact that the, the the previous rents were just unsustainable, and that's been part of the problem for the industry is sort of all these ever closing margins. What's your thoughts on on you know a, a lot of people are saying that maybe rents need to go to a percentage of turnover, and, and what sort of level do you think we're talking about, and is that going to be different in cities and and, and sort of across the country, or is there almost like a, a, a fixed level which is a fair and reasonable level that that any operators could pay a landlord uh, on that? Or shared, but I tell you, this depends on what kind of business you do or you run. If it's food, if it's not food, so the variable changes can go from probably six percent to twelve percent uh, or twenty percent if it's luxury, maybe. But uh, again, um, this is the only way forward. We've been doing this for five years. We don't pay fixed rent. So when uh, I saw this uh, timeout campaign, I found it uh, a little bit uh, antiquated. Why are you asking landlord to decrease their rent? Why did you sign that contract in the beginning? So that's the point. It's, I don't like people who complain, uh, Mark. Um, and uh, if your sales were affected because you were selling booze, and now you're not selling booze anymore, you should have really planned it ahead in a different way. So what I did not agree with that campaign was that the only reason for that campaign was to ask landlord to uh, lower the expectation in rents. That's not the way. You're just moving your problem to someone else. <laughs> You're shifting the problem to someone else. That's not the way to solve things. Yeah. Solve things is to find a more comprehensive solution. Talk to the landlord. Obviously, they are part of the problem. Not say they are not the problem, but is your business model viable? Ask yourself this. Is it something that is good for your for the visitor, the customers, for the citizens? Are you offering food which is healthy? Are you helping the community? If you're doing all of this, then you should also discuss it with your landlord and tell them what you're doing. Uh, so you see, it's just uh, blaming the others has never been my point of strength. Yeah. Well, it would be lovely to uh, yeah to change that and have a much more um i don't know partnership approach i suppose i think it's going to take some time i think there's a lot of landlords there's a lot of old properties owned you know probably particularly in london by people you know landlords who, who have no interest whatsoever uh in in your business but only in their returns and their pensions then leave them oh, empty leave say again them empty. leave them empty leave yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah 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 that well, would change and then i would like to see that's something else i'd like to see i'd like to see the government to intervene and say, if your shop is empty for more than one year, we use it. Finished. You yeah. can't leave spaces uh, empty just because you are asking for a stupid amount of rent. You cannot do this. You need to have to have a sound economy who can work and who can uh, prosper in the right way by creating value. And the real estate, some very often, the business model, model is just to extract value which is finished as a as a model of the business and of me of a society nowadays we need to create value if it does not create value then the government should intervene that's something which is uh, got it would be a positive uh, action from the government yeah when are you going to go for mayor, uh, Andrea, so we can all vote for you <laughs> <laughs> you can you can make these changes i, I think i i'm I wouldn't be a wonderful politician. I think, <laughs> the compromise is not exactly. If if I have a view, you know, a little bit, you know, if I have something in which I believe, um, I don't compromise a lot. Yeah, no, true. Which is which is which is a good thing. Well, look, um, you know, sort of coming to a close because I'm conscious of time. But your reopening, um, you know, across the sector, uh, it's not going to be easy. We've got this sort of flowing date. You know, you're going to start doing some bits tomorrow. There were some rumours going around on the 22nd of June. We've we've sort of still even not been told officially, although we've been indicated 4th of July at the moment. What's your thoughts around the complexities of opening? Because it's not just a case of going in and turning a light switch, is it? You know, there's staff, there's suppliers, I guess. Even though we furloughed our people, there's going to be an element of, of recruitment or other people will have gone and found jobs. How hard do you think it's going to be to sort of reignite, even, even just on your level? You know, if they're, they're decent size operations, what's your thoughts on getting the doors back open fully? It's honestly, it's a, it's a nightmare. And we all have to be aware of this. But it's, again, 
my father told me when I was uh, younger, did you want the bicycle? Now cycle, finish. So we wanted to do this. We have to, to, to face all problems and uh, to open this uh, big machine again meant to clean everything up from scratch and then uh, check all the equipment and uh, get some of the people uh, off the forlow and uh, pay them again. So it's a big risk. And then to convince and to talk to all of our partners to come and open, even if in the next two weeks the sales are going to be minimal. We know it is going to be probably 10% of what they used to do and what we used to do. But uh, it's the only way to then get ready for the 22nd or whatever, first week of July. If you don't start now, you cannot warm up and you cannot uh, get back on your feet and have the engines ready to run when it will be all open again. So that's the only way to do it. And this has been all my life. I, I've never started a, a company or a shop which would start right away from day one. I would have always opened it two weeks in advance to make it work a little bit because that's the way it is. Mm. No, I agree with that. I think you're right. I th- and I think you've just got to start. I mean, I'm also a, uh, a governor on uh, on a school and we were chatting about reopening the school and the dates and, the, and it, it was pretty fluid, but I'm like, oh, look, you just need there. to start. Yeah. Let's you know, not go just... into education because the, on that, yeah. I would have a lot. We, we could do another another couple of hours. I think my son, who is 12, would probably like to join you for that, Andrea, because he's not a huge fan of, uh, of an education system that was probably developed in another era. However, we can't fix that as well today andrea so look thank we you so much uh, for, yeah we should yeah <laughs> we'll do another one we'll do we'll do andrea <laughs> remarks views on uh, on the education system um is there are there any other burning issues is, is there anything else andrea that you want yes to there about? is a one yeah, a very yeah. important one very important one the agriculture bill i thought you were yeah. going to mention this i had written on my notes here chlorinated chicken and jamie oliver but uh, we, we have to stop go it. On, go we have on, to stop it, it. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for Jamie Oliver. I'm all for Jamie Oliver. I also publicly said it. The letter he sent to Boris was perfect. He's totally right. We have to stop it because this is ridiculous. You, you want to be out of the European Union? Fine with me. No problem. You help the European Union, US, UK, to uh, have these amazingly beautiful standards of food. UK was part of it in creating these standards. And now, just because you get out of the European Union, you want to go back to give uh, uh, chloride or hormones-fed meat to your citizens? What a government could do this to their citizens, to their people? This is a disgrace. I agree on having a fair commercial trade with USA because you are in need of that. But don't poison your citizens again. Stop it. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So this is the issue, basically. The, the, the biggest issue on chlorinated chicken, isn't it, is not around the safety of the chlorinated chicken because we use chlorination sometimes for vegetables. The issue is is that it can hide uh, poor animal standards. Kind of is that basically it's uh, it, it's a sort of a response to the fact that those uh, chickens may not have lived in very good conditions. There's no motivation have you seen it? to do so. You've seen the way well, they are. Yeah, and yeah. and and even yeah, it's, it's horrible. But even it's some horrible. of the some of the systems in the UK with battery farming, you know, are not acceptable. I just wish that people no. cared I totally agree with you. where their I'm food. I'm not came. saying that UK is is uh, is perfect. I'm not saying the European Union is perfect, but we are reaching yeah. a decent level of standard food because. Again, Tesco is here and uh, Sainsbury is here. They're still selling chicken, which I would never give exactly, to exactly. a kid. Yeah. So, but at least you don't add additional uh, junk to what you're already selling. Stop yeah. it. Yeah, let's make it better, not make it worse. So, no, I agree. Exactly. I agree 100%. Yeah, let's, uh, let's hope it's, get, it's getting a lot of publicity. I need to check the latest on the details it seems crazy but no that's a good that's a good thing to bring up and uh, yeah people go off and, and do your own research and uh, support right yes, to your there's plenty of stuff online uh, about the agricultural bill and how to help so that's a good shout um look andre thank you so much again for, for spending the time always really enjoy uh, chatting to you and and your your philosophy as much as anything is fantastic where should people go if they want to follow your perspective and your journey anywhere in particular well on instagram in uh, mercato metropolitano on instagram that's where we are very active in li- on linkedin and facebook uh, if facebook continues like this probably for a very short time if he does not uh, fight against uh, uh, this uh, racial 
statements of Trump, I don't think we are going to probably continue with Facebook in the future. We'll see how it goes. But on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn, you will find, uh, um, or our website, obviously, you will find a lot of uh, our um, activities around all these aspects. Yeah, perfect. Do Facebook still own Instagram? Is that going to become a problem, Andre? That's a problem. So, <laughs> guys, I you can't... Can uh, but I will put, cannot... Let's not go there. We'll be off on another hour. Another one. I'm going to... I'm going to... many... Episodes we have to show. Exactly. I will put the links up to the various accounts on, on the website, though. But for now, Andre, look, have a, have a beautiful afternoon and thank you for joining me. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Mark. It was always a pleasure to talk to you. So there you have it. As I said, Andrea always has a strong opinion and a philosophy or two, but I do find him a thoroughly engaging and entertaining individual. So I hope you enjoyed our chat. Um, If you can do me a favour, head over to the website humansofhospitality.co.uk. You can sign up there to a weekly newsletter where I'll keep you updated on any new episodes and uh, no other kind of marketing nonsense. Uh, But whilst you're there, if you can also hit the Patreon page and support the podcast in some way, uh, that is exceptionally helpful. And all the cash that we raise just goes on buying better kit and getting better guests. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, Best of luck to everybody out there who is reopening their doors. And uh, I'll be back soon uh, to chat about the experience of people reopening. Thank you.